My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, I'm really honored and excited to be joined by two amazing women who are with the Good Faith Network here in Johnson County, Kansas. And I'm joined by Jen and by Vicki. Thank you guys so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having us. We are thrilled. Happy to be here. When I first heard about the Good Faith Network, I was completely intrigued because of my personal faith beliefs and how the Good Faith Network is working with the community and with a myriad of different churches, synagogues, mosques, mosques, etc., to try to tackle some some big issues in our community. Jen, you want to just start us off by kind of talking about how this all came about, right? Um, So it's it's incredible. It truly has been life-changing for me. Um, So the Good Faith Network, we are now made up of about 25 to 27 interfaith um, communities, and we came together. So we have we are at, um, we're about a year and a half old. And I think maybe if I explain our annual cycle, that might help. Sure. So we, every um, faith organization is represented who belongs to the Good Faith Network. And we hold listening sessions or community conversations in our respective place of faith. And during those conversations, we ask um two questions. We ask people from, so for example, I'm with Congregation Beth Torah. So at our community conversation, the questions were or are, what do you see in our community that causes you great pain? What wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning in our community that is just wrong and, and you want to change? And when we started this a year and a half ago, the overriding themes that we were hearing were about mental health and homelessness. So that is how, um, so we held 12 of those, I think a year and a half ago. 12 of those conversations. Well, there were 12 organizations with us. Um, Maybe more. I think it was, it started out with 20 in the fall of 21. 21, okay. And each congregation held multiple. So Vicki did the same at Grace. We took copious notes of all of those listening sessions. And they were really... um, It was people within our congregations. And some of the stories were stories you never would have guessed if you had just had kind of the surface conversations that we have a lot of times. So uh, it was very enlightening to find out some of the concerns that people had. And I think one of the the stereotypes is that our county is a privileged county. And then to hear 
a lot of stories that said things under the surface aren't as good as as they may appear. Mm -hmm. When you say stories that were told, do you mean people sharing their personal stories of this is what has happened to me or this is what I have dealt with? It was a combination. Some of them were firsthand, this has happened to me, I've experienced this, and some were, I have concerns because I've seen this happening to family members, friends, people in the community, at work, that kind of thing. Okay. And what were some of those, if you don't mind me asking, that really got your attention that you thought, I had no idea this was going on right in our own backyard? Um, One that surprised me but didn't surprise me because I a few years ago retired as a school social worker and I kind of wondered about this but never really put it into words and there was a pastor that was um, at one of the listening sessions and she said I've pastored in many rural areas and it wasn't until I came to this area that I realized in this county the suicide rate for youth is so much higher and the um the expectations she correlated the the expectations that are on the youth with this the increased suicide rate in our county and i thought you know i've always wondered about that but i've never had somebody else confirm that with their observations that is very interesting that you know this is being noticed from all facets of the community Right. You just said you were a, a former school social worker. Yes. So obviously you had some insight there. Yes. Jen's been in the mental health world forever mm-hmm. and, and also actually, a former we ta- teacher. We worked together. So, okay. So we, we overlapped. And so um, it, it was, it was very insight. It was interesting to hear from Johnson County. Now I'm not from here. I'm a Chicago native. I landed here in 1997 for one year of graduate school. (laughs) And here you are. (laughs) And here I still am. (laughs) So um, I didn't know where I was landing. I didn't realize that Johnson County is the most affluent county, the richest county in Kansas. Um, But having worked in Shawnee Mission, having worked in KCK, having taught in Chicago Public Schools, I have seen everything And so when we heard people's stories and their lived experience of trying to navigate mental health, um, what what to do in a crisis, who who do I call, how how do I find a physician or a psychiatrist or a clinician, Um, homelessness, not people not being able to, who were raised in Johnson County, not being able to afford to continue to live in Johnson County. That was all very eye-opening for me. And so as we ciphered through all of our stories, we then came together this past year at Beth Torah and held a community problems assembly. And that's when we had um, all of our network members come together and we voted. So this is so... um, grassroots and it is owned by the organization it is um ground up ground up yep Mm -hmm. it is ground up and we voted and we decided to continue on with mental health because we had not finished our mission and our campaign 
con continue with mental or uh, with homelessness, and then we added affordable housing. Okay, so those are the three, three campaigns. Campaigns, mm -hmm. and Vicky, talk to us a little bit about what exactly the campaign involves. Um, so the first year, we had just homelessness and mental health, and um, Jennifer and I are both co-chairs of the Mental Health Committee, the Research and Action Committee. So as members, each member has the opportunity to choose one of the, the campaigns, so to speak, to be on. And then we interview people in the community, those with lived experience, those um, in, for instance, with mental health, in the mental health field, uh, just a variety of people that would have an understanding of the issues. And from there, um, we kind of get an idea about what we think the biggest concern is. And for us, with mental health, it was a, a tough thing to narrow down because it's a huge category. Right. And we heard about mental health navigation. We heard about what to do in a crisis, um, just a variety of things, what to do when the or, or what to do to to keep it from becoming a criminal act when somebody's in a crisis and they get taken to the, the jail instead of an appropriate place. Um, so that's how we kind of narrowed down what our problem statement would be that we would then take to the officials and ask them for these corrective measures. And the problem statement is what? Um, for mental health last year, because as I said, it's a, a, a broad category. We chose to ask for a crisis stabilization center in our county, the one that that um, individuals from this county have available to them is in another county. And there's only 10 beds and it's shared among three counties. And they're some of the largest counties in the in the state. So she, Vicky's referring to RSI okay. um, in Wyandotte County. Okay, what does RSI mean? Well, it's or stand for Rainbow Services Inc. It, oh, okay, it, it's the gotcha. old Rainbow yep. Mental Health Hospital. Right. Okay. So, RSI is located in Wyandotte County. It serves Johnson County. We have nearly six hundred and twenty thousand citizens or neighbors in our community. It serves Wyandotte County and it serves uh, Leavenworth. And it, there's ten beds. Yep. Ten beds. Ten beds. Oh, so it's really easy to get in there. Yes. As, as we've been told, it's always full. Oh, of that's course what we've it is. been told. And then the options are jail or the emergency room. And the emergency room, they're not equipped to handle somebody in a mental health crisis. So it's oftentimes jail. And we were even told sometimes we'll come up with the charge because we need to, to send this safe. person somewhere. Mm. Wow, that it's heartbreaking. I, it really is. It is heartbreaking to think of a a, a jail cell mm -hmm. as a place to treat somebody for a mental health crisis because that's the best we've got. That's the best. And we have talked to in the year and a half, we have talked to everyone. I mean, we have talked to people with lived experience. We have talked to Jessica Murphy, who heads the co-responders. We've talked to CIT-trained officers. We've talked to Rennie McKinney with Advent Health 
we've talked with Cottonwood Springs. We've talked with clinicians. We've talked with you. And mm -hmm. we, we've talked with KDAT, with Andy Brown, who oversees behavioral mental health for the Kansas Disabilities and Aging Department. I mean, we have talked with Tim Dewey's, everybody. All the decision makers, basically. Yeah. Definitely. And it really ciphered down to the need for a crisis stabilization mm -hmm. center. And what um, the law enforcement told us is that taking someone in crisis to the appropriate facility should be as simple, if you will, as it is taking someone who is charged with a crime to jail. Yeah, no question. Right. And it's not that way. Mm -mm. If they need to go all the way down to RSI and there's no beds available, then they have to go to an ER. Well, they can't just drop off at an ER. So now you have a police officer that is tied up in a mental health crisis. For hours. For hours. Absolutely. In a hospital. Yes. Right. And we're just coming out of a pandemic. Hmm. So in 2021, that really wasn't even an option like to go in and it's not an incentive to take them to the er if you're going to sit there for four or five well, hours sure because the police officers need to be doing <laughs> yes. police work yes so i'm sure they're like uh, i ain't got time to go sit in an emergency room all day wow yeah i mean when that is the only option besides jail and I had no idea. I, I mean, I knew that, that we just don't have enough inpatient beds, but I honestly had no idea that we really, don't. really don't have any beds in this county where right. we live. N nothing, nothing that is available to people. You either have the right insurance or you've got the wrong insurance or mm -hmm. you're the right age or you're the wrong age or you it, there's there's always something. There's always a barrier. Mm -hmm. There's always an additional obstacle. And str struggling with mental with a mental health condition is a challenge in and of itself. Right. Getting up and moving through your day. Having the courage to show up somewhere or pick up the phone or to say, to text someone and say, I I I'm struggling. That is courageous. Absolutely. And then just to be faced with all of these shut doors it's nothing but barriers it's nothing but mm -hmm. barriers that you see why people become desperate mm -hmm. and feel that there aren't many options mm -hmm. i just had a call from a mom this morning who has an, an adult child in in a mental health crisis and she said i don't know what to do and you know we talked about it for i said oh, i'm not a therapist i'm not a doctor but you know I think it sounds like the child needs some pretty intense intervention which at this point would be the emergency room because again that's all mm -hmm. we have in this county and the fact that they have that luxury because they have insurance so what happens if they show up at the emergency room and they're like I'm sorry we don't take your insurance mm -hmm. then good luck well and that also brings to mind one of the other issues that we we shelved last year because we just, with the Crisis Stabilization Center being kind of forefront, we didn't have the time to adequately research it, and that's for mental health navigation. We're doing more, yes. working more on that this year because the people we heard from, especially those with lived experiences, said, 
We know where to go if we have a physical illness. We do not know where to go if we have a mental illness because there isn't, you know, any little dial up and, and find out or right. or even better yet, you can sometimes find a place online that'll give you a list, which that alone when you're in a mental health crisis is is tricky to sure to try to go through that. But it also, if you're in a mental health crisis, being expected to navigate all that alone is unreasonable. We spoke with Chris, uh, Kirsten Atkins, who we both know right. from, with Pathway to Hope last year. And as the executive director, she said she spends the majority of her time almost holding someone's hand, walking them through, finding something that's what the executive director is doing. Of a nonprofit. Of a nonprofit. That helps people with mental illness and their families. Right. That makes no sense. I mean, God bless her for doing that. Right. But that's not enough because if, if she's tied up with one situation, one person in crisis at that moment. How does she do the rest of her job? Right. And, <laughs> and what about everybody else? And, you know, I remember that when you spoke that um, – about your son and that it happened that you knew somebody and that was the same case for me i i knew somebody not everyone knows somebody absolutely mm-hmm. and knowing somebody can be a blessing and it can be a curse mm-hmm. because knowing someone that doesn't always make it the right fit for sure mm-hmm. it, there's, there's a conflict of in- interest there's right. th- there's an ethical issue there um and when you talk about, you said you had a call this morning, and it was about a young adult. Mm-hmm. So if you're over 18, mm-hmm. that's a whole different ballgame. Exactly. Yes. And and to your point of the navigator, every parent to date that I have interviewed for the podcast has said, I did not know what to do, and I didn't know who to call when yes. their child had a mental health crisis. 100% across we, the board. We don't know what we don't know. Right. And we would never think of living in a society that did not have hospitals right. or EMTs or police or fire. Right. And when somebody is, is given a diagnosis of cancer, there is support groups and navigation systems. Same with um, memory care and Alzheimer's and dementia and heart disease and stroke. I mean, I could go on and on when you talk about the physical body. But when we talk about our brains, mm-hmm. mental health, which everyone has mental health, there, there's nothing. There's no parity at all. And some of it, I think, is still due to that stigma. If For you sure. Don't, you don't talk about it. And if you don't talk about it, then how does anyone know where to go? Exactly. <laughs> All right, so we've identified that there is a huge problem here. What is the Good Faith Network doing to try to help with this situation? With the Crisis Stabilization Center, last year uh, at what we call our Nehemiah Assembly, it was in May, and three of the county commissioners attended, and we asked them to commit to um, supporting a, the the um, development of a crisis stabilization center here in Johnson County, not expanding the one in another county and not using continuing to use 
the one that's there. Um, we got kind of, what would you call it? It was semi-support maybe, but not direct support that they, that they could support that. Okay. Um, and we knew that, um, with, we could only invite three commissioners because, um, of the they, Open if they have Act. Yeah, if they have a quorum, it then becomes their meeting, and they have to publish an agenda, and it just would turn into something that we did not want it to turn into. We wanted to continue it being our meeting. Sure. And we simply wanted, we knew that they could not say, yes, we endorse this. Yes, we, we simply wanted, will you support would you go back to the Board of County Commissioners and support this? And we just never got... They talked around it. They talked around it. Um, they talked about a lot of things that they had been doing, things that they wanted to be doing, but no direct answer of, yes, we support this. Um, I think one of them said she would support. They had a timeline already. Wasn't it 2029? Yes. To have a crisis stabilization mm -hmm. unit in Johnson County. Yes. 2029. That's yeah. six years from now. Uh-huh. And seven from last year. <laughs> and one of them did commit to supporting the idea of moving that up sooner. Okay. With no definitive um, date. Where does it stand now? That's where it stands now? Pretty much. Yep. So what is the Good Faith Network doing about that? The um, criminal justice coordinator in Johnson County uh, decided to start a work group to look at the possibility and did invite Good Faith Network to um, have representatives in that work group. So we've got three in that work group. And it's kind of still going back and forth to try to put together recommendations on that, um, that crisis stabilization center. And I think that they started meeting in July of last year. And at that point, we were tremendously hopeful because this work group was being formed. We had been invited to the table, mm -hmm. so we selected who we felt would be our best representatives, and then um, there wasn't, it appeared there wasn't a lot of structure and organization to this work group, so the Good Faith Network stepped up and said, we will happily chair this group. So we were like, these are huge successes. Right. And it just has not come to fruition the way we had wanted it to and when i say we had wanted it to the way it needs to for our neighbors in johnson county so what now well we're still pushing that work group and um if their recommendations are not to develop a crisis stabilization center in Johnson County, we may well have to leave that group because we can't endorse those recommendations. Um, we were supposed to have received the recommendations Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. When we got an email 
late Wednesday evening saying that the recommendations were not complete and they were going to be brought up to the CJAC at the CJAC meeting March 7th, which is the Criminal Justice Advisory Council. So now that's been pushed back maybe to May. It's tentative. And law enforcement is a proponent of Absolutely. the crisis stabilization oh, yes. Yes. unit. Yes, because they aren't trained to deal with people in a mental right. health crisis. To give credit where it's due, there is there are some therapists from Johnson County Mental Health in the jail. Right. And they do, an, um, I think, in an assessment of those people that they think might be having mental health problems. But I'm not sure how much treatment they actually get. That was my next question. Okay, so if someone's in jail, they're assessed by a county mental health provider, and that provider says this person needs mental health treatment, then what happens? I don't know how much follow-up there is. I think they attempt to follow up, but I don't know. We don't know. Okay. It sounds like this has kind of been a frustrating process and experience for you guys over the last year and a half. I think it's the best thing I've ever done being part of this. I I left my full-time job to full-time volunteer for this cause because that's how passionate I am about it. And I know that we're doing good work. And so I can go to bed every night saying, I, I am showing up. I am stepping up for someone who is unable to do that for themselves. It is heartbreaking at the same time and frustrating and infuriating because I know what it's like to struggle with mental health. And I, I can't even find a psychiatrist for myself right now. And you have experience, Ex- education, and resources. resources. And connections. Mm-hmm. Thank God I have the same clinician that I've been with since 2009, my same therapist. But I can't find a psychiatrist because I there's a waiting list or they're mm-hmm. not taking patients or I can't even get through to get on a call or <laughs> right. they, they don't take my insurance or... There's 10 million obstacles, or I'm so exhausted mm-hmm. by it that I cannot even make the call. In fact, Christmas Day, I called um, a treatment facility in Arizona, and this week I would have been there. That's how desperate I was. I mm. had spiraled down so low that I said, I thought, I need inpatient treatment. Now, with the work of a great clinician and support and doing the things I know to keep myself healthy, I'm finding my way back to the out of that dark tunnel. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to slip again. Right. And what am I going to do? Because mental illness is not just a one and done thing. Right. <laughs> right. As we've all talked about a myriad of times. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is you've hit a couple of pretty sizable roadblocks. 
if this next one doesn't come to fruition with the criminal justice, I forgot what you called it. Advisory council. Yes. Mm -hmm. If that, okay, that ends up being another roadblock, what's your next move? Have you thought that far ahead? I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it. I think the only thing that we've we've really sort of discussed is maybe approaching a hospital about them taking that on and having a crisis stabilization center as part of their hospital. Um, we haven't gotten to that place yet. And I think one thing that, that helps with the frustration, at least for me, is that our organizer, our lead organizer, has a lot of experience um, as a participant in um, justice organizations. She was, I think she still is with one um, in, it's a, it's a sister mm-hmm. organization in Lawrence. Right. And she has told us this is not unusual for this to take several years, Um one of my frustrations is I've heard from several county employees, well, in, in Johnson County, things move slowly. So my own personal thought is that part of our job is to change that mentality, that we don't have to move slowly, that it just because that's been what has happened in the past doesn't mean we need to say, well, oh, we just move slowly, so I'm sorry, you know, if you don't have a place to go when you have a mental health crisis, because we move slowly. So right. I think challenging that, and I think that's part of what we've done with this this work group is try to keep them moving and and accountable. Um, we just had a very nice meeting with the new chairman of the county commission, Chairman Kelly, um, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he was very interested in what we had to say and um, eager to learn more. He said, you know, I need to learn more about this. We are trying to um, set up a call with um, Tim DeWeese and Mike Brower, who heads the Criminal Justice um, Advisory Council, and... um, Dr. Ken Minkoff, who is one of the authors of um, the Roadmap to the Ideal Crisis System. Crisis Center, yeah. Crisis Center. Because in that, he says that a crisis stabilization or crisis intervention is the centerpiece in the continuum. Okay. So we're trying to get everyone on board and get on the same page and see what happens there we interviewed dr minkoff um last week uh, yeah last week and part of what he does is acts as a consultant to get everyone uh in agreement about what the need is and he said at that meeting that he would be willing to do that with us so that is also our one of our next steps and Right now, it's an issue of coordinating schedules. Well, but that's an encouragement that he's willing to do that. It, it's fabulous that he's willing to do that. It's going to get the other members from the in our community, the decision makers, to sit down and agree to this call 
so that we all are on the same page, understanding what this community needs. Before we leave the crisis stabilization, what are there any other things that you want to say about that before we before we move to the next issue? On May 2nd, and it will be hosted um, at the Church of the Resurrection, is our Nehemiah Assembly. And last year, we had 1,228. I was not there, but I heard about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. And so to get the public and bring people to this Nehemiah action where we um, approach our decision makers, it last year it happened to be county commissioners. It, we're not sure who it's going to be, and raise the heat. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable, and healthy tension is okay. It's not disrespectful, but it. We can't just sit back and and status quo because that's not working. Right, and to be clear. The Good Faith Network is a nonpartisan organization. Absolutely, yes. And so there's no politics involved, either right. side or... Absolutely. Right. This is for concerned citizens, faith community members to come together and try to make some positive changes where they see brokenness in the community. Yes. yes. We're to change things systemically. And we, what we know is that one person, one, one faith organization can't do it on their own. It takes a larger voice. It takes the voice of many people. And so that is what we're working to do. Um, and to speak for, we, we, we have a responsibility to speak up for the poor, the orphan, the, the widowed, you know, those who mm-hmm. cannot advocate for themselves. And oftentimes that includes those struggling with mental illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is one thing I wanted to add about the the Crisis Stabilization Center. An additional piece that we have found that is really important that is not provided at RSI, um, and they, the Crisis Stabilization Center that they have in Lawrence has incorporated this, and I think it's really important, is they have... Um, housing that patients can go to as they leave the crisis stabilization center where it's um i don't know whether transitional transitional yes so that there is some support still and also a place to live because it's not unusual for homelessness and mental health to go hand in hand so it's my hope and i think our our group's hope that if we get a crisis stabilization center in Johnson County, or maybe I should say when, that that's a, the transitional housing as a, as a part of it. Because those wraparound services at the end are so important. You, just, you can't just treat somebody and then say, see you later, treat good them luck. Treat them, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the same way with someone who is struggling with a substance use right. disorder. Oftentimes, someone who is coming out of a rehabilitation um, placement is put into some type of a, a halfway house right. or home or s- supportive living situation 
but we never, we don't want to throw them right back into the same setting where all the same things, triggers, triggers mm-hmm. and such are there. And same for mental health. Absolutely. Yes. Where if you've been in a crisis stabilization situation or a hospital for any amount of time, going back to whatever the real world, quote unquote, was before you arrived there, how's, how is all of that going to affect your mental illness and your treatment and your path to healing? Yes. Right. This is a lot to think about and a lot to (laughs) chew on. I want to go a little bit deeper into the inception of the Good Faith Network, because I think this is something that no matter where a person lives who's listening to this podcast could take away, you know what, I can do something in my own community about systematic problems. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. The inception of this. Whose idea was this? How did you guys get drawn in and brought aboard? I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jennifer, I think that it started as part of the United Methodist Church, the conference in this area. Okay. And the person who um, does justice suggested that this was a, a way of, of seeing justice happen in the communities and found out about um, something called the DART organization, which is Direct Action Research Training, uh, researched them and, and thought that they would be a good model to, um, to use for a justice organization group. And then the United Methodist Church, the conference in this area, the Great Plains Conference, uh, gave a donation to get um, justice organization in Johnson County, in Wichita, and in Lincoln to get us started. So Lincoln, Nebraska? Yes. Okay. And I know that the rabbi for my congregation, for Beth Torah, Rabbi Katapan, was one of the founding members. And initially, we were the Interfaith Johnson County, Johnson County Interfaith, Interfaith Social Justice Organization. That's, organization. A, that's a mouthful. Yeah, it, yes. It was a lot. So we even voted on the name, what we were going to call ourselves. Um, But what we realized is individually, as places of faith, we're really good at doing um, mercy work, meeting emergent needs, you know, a blood drive, a diaper drive, collecting food, a food pantry, um, clothing, things like that. But for systematic change to to really to do the work of justice that takes a whole lot of people and it's not a one and done it's for the long haul Mm -hmm. it's that's what makes us so unique Mm -hmm. is that we are looking at making changes in the system yes and very likely you guys will be doing this for a long time yeah, I mean, well, yes, because, we because the one in Lawrence, I think, has been going about 12 years, and there's one in Topeka that has probably been almost as long. And even if um, they see corrective action for those injustices, there's always another issue the next sure. year. So we just keep going. 
And you knew that when you agreed to be a part of this, you knew that this was not going to be, oh, I'll be on this for a year and a half and it'll be over. I don't know that it was explicit. I don't know that it was explicitly stated, but I guess as a social worker, I assumed there were enough things to keep us busy for years. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think I knew that social justice was just, is my passion and that this was just the right calling for me and and my it, it gelled with my beliefs and my core values and and all of that so it was the right thing to do and it's what I meant to be doing so um I didn't think about like the timeline I didn't really know what I was getting myself into my rabbi <laughs> um brought it up when I was on the board of trustees and then kind of handed me the ball and let me go with it. And I'm so thankful for that. It's so complex that I think when I initially agreed to it, I had no idea what all it involved because there's so many layers to it. And I just kept saying yes to <laughs> to different things and here I am. You're both very passionate, obviously, or you wouldn't be doing this. And again, I just want to encourage any listener in an area outside of our big Johnson County, 600 plus thousand residents, um, if someone's listening and has that same passion, then try going to your faith community because this organization is, is in it for the long haul to make systematic changes for the betterment of the community. Absolutely. And tell me how it is kind of linking arms with people of maybe different belief systems. And because that's something that we're not, we as a country aren't doing such a great job of. And that's something that I am very encouraged to see going on with the Good Faith Network. I think um, selfishly, that has been one of the greatest gifts I have gotten is I the relationships that I have made with other with people of other faith where I don't know that my path would have necessarily have crossed, I treasure these relationships because they they are like minded. We we have even though we have different faiths, we have the same end goal and we want to do the same thing and we believe in the in speaking out for those who can't speak out for themselves. So, and I think it's such a good example for our, for our, the youth in our community that we don't have to all look the same and be the same and believe the same, that we can have a common goal and work together because that's what life is all about. Right. It's working together with a variety of people. Some people you're going to like, some people you're not going to like, mm-hmm. some people you're going to hit it off. You're not, whatnot, but you you have to figure out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with Jennifer. One of the benefits, besides our friendship, that I've had from this organization is Jennifer has taught me a lot about Judaism and things that I didn't know. I've even talked to her about talking to my Sunday school class and educating all of us at once. And I know just just yesterday, she and I, I was trying to explain the difference between Protestant and Catholicism and Christian. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so it's been a wonderful learning mm-hmm. experience. 
And I know that one of the co-presidents on our board of directors just was talking this week about how in his congregation he feels like it has brought people of political differences together, that he has seen people that are, um, you know, very conservative and people are very liberal, that when they have a common cause, they will work together even though they don't share the same political uh, views. And I think that's amazing mm-hmm. right now when that is hard to find. It, it really is because we've been such a divided country. Yes. And so we are bringing people together. Um, one of our co-presidents, um, Pastor Maria Campbell with um, Heritage United Methodist Church, reached out to me um, and March 3rd. She is bringing her confirmation class to Beth Torah for our Friday night service she could have chosen any place to take them. And I was so honored that she reached out to me to bring them to Beth Torah. So we're so excited. So, and that would not have happened had our, we not been in the Good Faith Network right. together. Mm-hmm. That's just one of the many side benefits, yep. aside from the fabulous work you guys are doing. Let's talk a little bit more about the navigation piece. When we decided on mental health, my eyes got real big and I thought, mental health, that's really broad. Like, Mm -hmm. how are we going to bring, tighten that up and and decide what about mental health? And it was through doing these interviews and listening to people. And what kept coming up was the need for crisis stabilization and how the heck do you navigate this? How do you access care? We just didn't feel last year that we had done our due diligence and had done enough research to bring up the navigation hub. So we talked about it, we introduced it, but we and tabled it saying it will get more, it will be on the forefront this year. Okay. And have you started the work on that? We have. Thus far? And tell us a little bit about where you are in in the navigation topic. So we've had um, a couple of interviews. We had one with um, United Way 211. And then last week we had... I don't remember the name of it. It was out of Toronto, Toronto. Canada. And even though it was for juveniles, it was something that could be done across any age and it was very impressive and they actually found it in utah oh they came to the states and found it (laughs) and we we were not aware of the 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 program in utah but it was i think just about everything that we would dream of um they would work not only with the family and the individual to find a resource that was best for them, but they would also work with the practitioner to make sure it was a good fit from that side. And if it wasn't a good fit, then they'd start over and try again with someone else. They didn't just say, good luck. Yeah, you're on You know, your own another now. one of those, good luck. They didn't just pull out a sheet you know, and dust it off and be like, here, hope these resources, those people are still there. They mm-hmm. they say what they do is they get in the boat with them. And um, one of the phrases they use is compassionate persistence. Mm-hmm. 
and I just love that. So if a door closes, no worries, because I'm in that boat with you. And we're going to find you what you... I, it's like, how quick can I pick up and, and go? That's a beautiful analogy mm-hmm. that I'm in the boat with you. Yeah. Are you making progress towards that or you're still in the research research phase? Still in the research phase. Still in the research okay. phase. Okay. And what's interesting about how they do theirs, I think it's called the family nav. We'll get you the information. Okay. Is that um, it isn't zoom calls and it isn't meetings they do a lot of their work um by phone calls or by emails you've got three kids i'm a single mom i have two children and when i worked full-time i didn't have a day to spend doing this right so one of the examples they gave us is that they did an intake over like three days of 20 minutes when mom was on her way to work and when mm. she was on her way back from work. And then the next same thing. But that's how that they makes make sense. Yes. Yes. Because and nobody has works. a whole day to, to walk in to a community mouth, mental health center and hope that they're going to have intake. The other thing that I found so hopeful about them was that they treat the whole family. And the best example that they gave was they were working with um a juvenile with with a youth who was struggling with anxiety. Well, what came about was they discovered that the father had recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's and the parents had not shared that with the daughter. I just know of the daughter who was struggling. Once that all came out, they figured out that was the issue. And so they're still working with that family, but it's like that mobile that we put over our kid's crib, and when one piece of it doesn't work, the whole thing goes off kilter, and that's how it is in a family. Oh, when, yeah. When, and I'm assuming that you and Dan know when Will was struggling that everyone, oh, yeah. it impacts everybody. Right, right. And it makes so much sense to have the whole family, family involved. involved. Well, I'm really encouraged, even though I know that there's frustrating parts of this, um, like we talked about earlier, I'm really encouraged to see people like you two and a whole host of others that we're not seeing who are really committed to systematic change. I've interviewed multiple people. I've interviewed a physician at Children's Mercy, Shayla Sullivan, who I think mm-hmm. she's amazing, walks on water, right? And and she has said like our system is broken, and it shouldn't be that much more difficult for someone in a mental health crisis to access care than someone with cancer, heart disease, diabetes, fill in the blank. You wouldn't think if if the house across the street was on fire, you wouldn't think of not calling the fire exactly. department. Oh, look at that. The files is on fire. You're not going to ignore it. Right. Well, let's watch that. <laughs> uh-huh. So, great. That's a good analogy. But just that this organization and hundreds of people, thousands really, I would assume, are linking arms together to work towards systematic change in the mental health arena. Mm-hmm. I find that very encouraging. I do, too. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that I have not asked you guys that you would like to make sure to address? We're a nonprofit, and um, 
again, our Nehemiah action, when we will hold our, our local decision makers accountable and when we will address them with our problems and state our problem and what we believe to be viable solutions is going to be held at Church of the Resurrection on May 2nd. There will be lots of publicity and we will give invites and you can just show up. So it's open to the public. Yes. Okay. Yes. And we had over 1,200 last year. 1,220. And we would, we would love to have more right. this year. I bet you will. You're going to have 1,229 at least because I'll be there. Because <laughs> I didn't know about it last year. So thank you. Thank so you. much. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for doing what you're doing and for this opportunity. Well, and thank you to the Good Faith Network. And I will put in the show notes uh, the Good Faith Network's website, as well as any other of the um, resources that you mentioned, so that if, you know, again, somebody listening somewhere else in the country has a spark and says, I, I want to see this happen in my community, then they could look at what you guys are doing as an example and get it going. Mm-hmm. And there could be a listener in Johnson County who says, you know mm-hmm. what? Yes. I think my place of faith, wait, we need to be part of there this. There you go. Yes. That too. We, we yes. just um, met with the Social Justice Committee Tuesday night at Village Presbyterian and presented to them. So, so you're still open to, oh my, to including oh, more we, congregations. We have um, a person whose job it is to recruit more congregations. We okay. were at around 20 this time last year and we're at least 25 or maybe 27 okay yeah Mm -hmm. so that's great we're not gonna this isn't something we would cap right so that's a good point if someone in johnson county listens to this and Mm -hmm. thinks my congregation needs to be involved then they can get in touch with you numbers are power (laughs) absolutely well, thank you guys again so much for being here, Jennifer and Vicki of the Good Faith Network in Johnson County, Kansas. And I appreciate you joining me on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.